All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Sylvester Stallone Fan Podcast Network episode where three hosts from three different podcasts join forces to talk about a Sylvester Stallone film that is pretty much not Rocky or Rambo. <laughs> so I am Ryan from Going the Distance, the Rocky Series podcast. I'm Doug. I'm from the Rocky Minute podcast, breaking down the Rocky movies one minute at a time. Yeah, and I'm Craig from the Sylvester Stallone Fan Podcast Network, and sometimes the Slycast. <laughs> Far less frequently. Well, Craig, you do have something coming up, which should be out before this episode reaches the podcast feed. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah, we're we're doing on the Slycast, and you guys were both a part of it. November is a big, big month in Rocky anniversary history, or at least November 2020. I believe a couple of days ago, we had the anniversary of Rocky V, its 30th. And in a couple of days, we're going to have the 35th anniversary of Rocky IV. So we'll be putting out a, a dedicated episode for each movie. Rocky IV will come first, which will include discussions with you and uh, and Doug separately, as well as Mike Kunda, who we always love, um, having a part of the Slycast. And on Rocky IV, we'll also be talking to Rocky IV superfan Greg Troyan. And then for Rocky V, again, you and Doug separately, uh, Mike Kunda and myself. Both episodes will also have some listener-contributed content. Got a couple of... Um, emails from listeners and then also i think we got one or two audio recordings like brian said i'm not sure when this episode's gonna hit the the network feed but it will be after the anniversary shows hit so uh, yeah we're looking forward to it i just got to finish putting the finishing touches on the on the editing and uh, make us all sound a lot smarter than rocky oh boy that's tough to do (laughs) (laughs) guys we put this up to a vote and this was a close one basically the Judge Dredd of the three was the throwaway vote. People did vote for Judge Dredd, but that was a far distance third to, between The Expendables Part 1 and Demolition Man. And just so you guys are tracking, on our Facebook poll, Expendables and Demolition Man tied. So it was up to Twitter to break the tie. So basically the Facebook the Facebook poll was void. It didn't count because it was a tie. So we went to Twitter to break that tie, and this won by like three votes or whatever it was a very small margin we almost had 100 people voting total so that's pretty cool it's a good thing that judge shred didn't win because craig might have had some vietnam flashback of editing that monster well i wouldn't have had to watch it again that would have been the only good thing i'm kind of excited that demolition man won it's been a while since i've seen it but it's one of those movies that i feel like i've seen so much when i was a you know teenager and a young adult i thought i remembered it differently than the rewatch <laughs> well let's first talk about the first time you saw it now doug we know doug didn't see any special slow movie in the theater so we know he didn't see this in the theater am i correct i never saw anything in a the theater that wasn't a star wars movie that's fine that's fine <laughs> no, uh, I, I did watch this a bunch you know in my younger days i always loved this movie i haven't watched it in a while uh, you know not like super long time ago maybe about two years ago i watched it but i haven't seen it a lot between my younger years and that, I just enjoyed it as much as I used to. 
Okay. Well, I did see it when it came out in the theaters, 1993, October. It was just before my, let's see, do some math here. I was 17 when I saw it, just about turned 18. That was the first time I saw it, and I bought it on VHS, watched the, the Dickens out of it. And I don't think I ever bought it on DVD, funny enough. So I've seen it, I guess, on streaming or TV since then, because I never bought the DVD of this. Craig, what about you? You probably saw this in the theaters, I presume. I think so. I know I was in college. Probably my best memory of the time this movie came out is... I think on Wednesdays, that was like my treat myself to lunch on college money budget. Go to Taco Bell on Wednesdays. And I remember the um, tray liner, the Demolition Man tray liner uh, with Sly and uh, Wesley and the cup and everything. If I was actively in college when this movie came out, there's a good chance I didn't see it. I didn't see a lot of movies when I was in college, oh. at least in theaters. This one I probably saw when it first came out on, on home video, and it's one I watched a lot. I actually have this as part of a really cool, I think it was like a four-movie set, four Sly movies, and it was okay. two discs, yeah. one movie on each side. I think it was right. Over the Top, The Specialist, Tango and Cash, and Demolition Man. Oh, wow. Because when I sat down to watch this, I put it in, and the first thing I heard was, let's do this. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Wrong side, and I had to flip it over <laughs> yeah. and get demolition there. <laughs> oh, <nice> dude. <laughs> I got that ring in my head. That's funny. Well, this is the fourth and last film from that box set that you own that we are now doing as a uh, Stolen Podcast Network. That's funny because we've done the other three films. Quite the collection. Yeah, trust me. I can film. throw that DVD out now. <laughs> Much like our podcast is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I like the film, don't get me wrong, but it's funny how much I found wrong with it. Now, it doesn't mean I didn't like the film, I didn't enjoy it. I, I enjoyed it as a movie. It's a fun watch. I understand it's uh, a fun watch, but I, I seem to recall, if I, if I were to go back in time to 1993, 17, almost 18 years old, a huge Sly Mark, as they say. I was a huge Sylvester Stone fan. I mean, I'm the biggest Sylvester Stone fan. And I still am, but as a kid, I just worshipped him as a teenager. And I knew that he was coming off the dud of Stop or My Mom Will Shoot that came out in 1992. So I knew as an action fan, an action movie fan, Sly was in dire need of a hit, dire need of a commercial successful hit. Previous, though, just before this film, Cliffhanger was released first of the same year. So he had a really big year in 93, a really big comeback year. Cliffhanger, as we know, is it's got to be top three non-Rocky Ramble film franchise film of Sly's career. A lot of people would argue Cliffhanger that. was 95, wasn't it? No, it was 93. No, whatever year, yeah, the same year as Jurassic Park, because I remember we went to go see Jurassic Park, which was sold out. 94? So we went to see Cliffhanger. <laughs> it must have been 94 then. No, 94 was Daylight or something close to that. If only there was a machine that can settle <laughs> yeah. this argument. If there were only were real <laughs> Sylvester Stallone fans on this podcast. <laughs> so 93 was Demolition Man and Cliffhanger. It was a big year oh, for Sly. I can't wait to prove you wrong. Okay, please do. Please do. It definitely wasn't 95. God damn it, he's even. right. Yeah. <laughs> if, if Ryan's dependable for anything, it's doing the, the research, the bare minimum of the, <laughs> of the research. <laughs> Ryan, you had mentioned Cliffhanger. I think outside of the two main franchises, it's probably Cliffhanger. And then you can't underestimate Cobra as well. And Cobra underperformed, I think, for an R-rated movie. But in terms of sly awareness, I think... Cobra is pretty high up on people's list in terms of movies they talk about if they were going down their, excuse me, list of 
sly movies that were non-Rocky or Rambo. Right. It's funny that we haven't covered Cobra yet. It's weird. It's, it's one we've kind of just... I figure it's, no matter what poll we put it on, it's going to win. I think that's why I haven't put it on a poll. Is because... I agree. Yeah, the moment it's a runaway. We would just have to say this month we're doing Cobra, and that's it. You know, it would be an interesting poll. Uh, uh, one for one would be Cobra versus a Party of Kitty and Studs. So it would be interesting <laughs> to see which one was that. <laughs> why? Why would you do that? Why would you do that to us? You bring that up so often. I think you want to do Party of Kitty. <laughs> what don't you? Don't you want to see Sloan's Cobra? <laughs> Does Andy V have that one on? Uh, oh, probably. <laughs> on digital. Oh, probably. So, Ryan, you you had mentioned, and I know we're going to get into the rundown of this, you would mention looking for problems in this movie. And, I mean, the biggest problem with this movie is the concept. And once you get beyond the concept of the movie, you can sort of go along for the ride. But I I don't understand what society would think a cryogenic – it's almost like let's just freeze him and let somebody else worry about him in 70 years. Yeah, okay, so we'll, we'll get into that. This film, if it was made today, would have been a $123 million budget, which actually, for a big-time action film, like if this was made today, that's a small potatoes for a budget. 123 is a very feasible or nominal amount. However, it did make its budget back. It doubled its budget with today's dollars, $256 million worldwide. So not, not a bomb, a two-for-one investment, not bad. Oh. If anything else... I think its biggest legacy is it basically gave us Dennis Rodman. Mm -hmm. Dennis Rodman, clearly, I think even in The Last Dance, he talks about it, the influence of Simon Phoenix on Dennis Rodman. Like, Dennis Rodman was a normal dude until he saw Demolition Man. (laughs) weird. And he went off the deep end. Well, I don't know if he was a normal dude, but I mean, you know, he was... He does credit Simon Phoenix as his inspiration for the wacky hair. That's awesome. And Wesley Snipes hated it, so that's the irony. The moment the film was stopped, yeah. he shaved his head. If you think about the two big stars at the time that command high salaries, plus all the, the pyrotechnics, I think they spent $2 million just making prototypes of futuristic cars just so they can use in this movie. Like That budget does seem pretty small compared to what it could have been. I don't think Wesley Snipes was a huge – I think he was commanding huge salaries. No. I mean – I. It was after that that he got Passenger 57 and Murder at, what, 4,200? 1,600. Before this, it was Major League and White Men Can't Jump, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but both of those movies are kind of, I I guess, White Man Can't Jump probably gave him some clout. But Jungle Fever, New Jack City. Oh, yeah, those are big. Oh, Nino Brown, man. That's timely, too, because he was giving out turkeys on Thanksgiving. WKRP in Cincinnati. (laughs) Not the turkey dropped. (laughs) (laughs) I love that episode. Very good point about Wesley Snipes. I remember seeing this, and I certainly knew who Wesley Snipes was. All the films you guys just made, I I mentioned, I had seen. I think every one of them you've mentioned, I saw before seeing this movie. But I wasn't a Wesley Snipes fan. I just happened to see a lot of movies when I was a teenager. I was a video addict. I went to the th- uh, movies and I went to video stores all the time, but I've seen all those movies. And so it was fun to watch Wesley Snipes. I remember enjoying his performance. And I also remember, and of course on this rewatch, again, we're seeing a bit of a co-star <laughs> kind of outperforming Sly a little bit. I think Sly brought his game up a little bit mm-hmm. in this one. I mean, if you want to talk about the comedy of this compared to the comedy of Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, 
funny. He, yeah, that's good. I thought he was great in this. I thought his t- comedy timing and his deliveries were much better. Yes. Wesley Snipes, you could say, yeah, he he stole the show from Sly, but I wouldn't put Sly that much past him. No, I Wesley don't. Snipes just he he's a charismatic dude. Yeah. Anytime he's on screen, he's he's pretty much the focus. I agree totally with Sly's uh, comedic timing and uh, and what have you was way better in this than. Like, partly because of the writing, but uh, mm-hmm. it was way better than a stop from my mom's shoot. It's just, again, with the fight sequences, it's a weird, it's always now watching Sly fight. I guess I'm so jaded by the you know, the James Bond movies of today, the Jason Bourne movies, the Matrix, all these uh, John Wick movies, fighting styles that we see. Watching Sly kind of just do the same gut punch, gut punch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's not like this, you have to think of, of the time, like this. The action back then wasn't in the fights; it was in the the explosions yeah. and the the blood squibs and everything. That's that's what yeah. action was. Now, yeah, the, the fight choreography is incredible. Now it's crazy. But back then, I mean, I, I I don't know. It didn't it didn't distract me that much, except the obvious stunt doubles in a few scenes. What are you talking about? Speaking of stunt, <laughs> speaking of stunt doubles, Wesley Snipes wanted to do all of his stunts, and they filmed Snipes doing all of his stunts, but they actually ended up refilming it with the stuntmen anyways after Wesley had did, did his stunts. Well, he also, I heard he, he was so proficient at his... They had to uh, slow it down. Yeah, they had to slow, they had to ask him to slow his kicks and his punches down because he's like a black belt in some martial art. I, I, I didn't know. Uh, he's legit. Yeah. I mean, if you watch this movie and then you go and watch, especially uh, the first two Blade movies. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. The level of martial arts there is beyond, you know, just learning moves for a movie. There's logic to it. It doesn't feel forced or doesn't really choreographed. And I think that's something that completely performer dependent. You know, you compare the martial arts that Wesley's doing in in these movies to like what Keanu Reeves did in The Matrix. Well, he began training when he was 12. He's a fifth degree black belt in Shotokan karate and a second degree black belt in Hapkido. He's also trained in capoeira and a number of other disciplines, including kung fu and... Wait, kung fu's a thing? (laughs) Yeah, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and kickboxing. Wow. So he's no slouch. He's no joke. Too bad he didn't have a, a black belt in paying his taxes. <laughs> it's, it's a black belt in the evasion. <laughs> the, I had no idea that he was that proficient in, as a fighter. Okay, I don't know why I didn't know that. I mean, it translates well on screen. He's very good with his movements. I didn't notice it in the film, but there's a, a number of kicks that the director had to get him to slow down because it was like a blur on film. Once he slowed it down, it looked kind of clunky and you know not natural. I didn't catch any of that, but... Well, it's interesting that you, that you speak about kicks because, as you guys probably read, this was supposed to be a Jean-Claude Van Damme, Steven Seagal vehicle. Yeah, but neither of them wanted to play the villain. Expendables Part 2, which we reviewed, Van Damme did a great job as a villain. And it's too bad he didn't have the yeah. confidence to, to play a villain at this point in his career. I guess he was he was kind of on his way out of the big screen movies. I think it was shortly after this he did, like, Double Imp... Or what was it called? Uh, what The one that he did with um, Rodman, speaking of Sudden Rodman. Sudden Impact. No, he did one with Rob. Uh, oh, uh, double, double team. Double team. Sorry, a little play on words with the boss, the basketball. So Van Damme didn't want to be the bad guy, which is too bad because in 2012, he showed us just how good of a bad guy he plays. And it's, it's too bad he didn't have the confidence to... It's weird how actors back in the day didn't want to turn heel when they're seen as the good guy. But even further yeah. than that, Sly actually approached Jackie Chan first to play the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And so Jackie Chan, had he accepted it, would have said yes. Like he would, he would have done it because it was he was the first choice by Sly. And I guess whatever Sly wants, he probably gets. 
But Jackie Chan turned it down because he too didn't want to play a bad guy. It's different nowadays. Now nowadays people love playing the villain, but back then it was kind of like, ooh, I'm gonna wreck my career if I'm seen as the bad guy. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I think people just didn't want to be typecast in any way. But I don't know if you if you're a hero in four straight movies in a row and you play a bad guy, I don't I don't see that doing anything damaging to your career. It actually shows that you have a greater range and it makes you more marketable, I think. But it would have been interesting to see a Jackie Chan or, or, or Van Damme at the time. And I think if Van Damme had played the villain, I guarantee you this box office would have almost been doubled at that time. The wow factor of having these two juggernauts on the screen together, I think it would have just pushed it that much. Because it was a Stallone movie. It was No one really went, not very many people went because of Snipes. I would say 90% of the audience went because it was a Sly movie. But can you imagine the Van Damme fans would have gone too? It would have increased the box office revenue. Especially two big giant stars like that. Did Doug sound like a robot to you too, Ryan? <laughs> yeah, just say that again, Doug. Sorry. Oh, where do you... <laughs> Craig, are you getting him? Okay. We can't hear you, Doug. We'll let you know when you come back in. <laughs> so Craig and I will keep going. It's okay. Craig, you're still there? Oh, yeah, I am. Okay. I was going to say, um, have you seen Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, there's that whole thing where his agent is basically telling him, you can't keep taking these roles where you're the villain on a, a TV Western because people aren't going to say that's Rick Dalton. They're going to say that's the guy that got his butt kicked by Maverick on Saturday night. Oh, good point. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's talk about the director. I, I couldn't believe this, but this is the guy's first film. His name was Marco Brambilla. So he's an Italian-Canadian director. This was his first movie, but he came on a suggestion by David Fincher's because both directors were big-time, big-budget commercial directors. So David Fincher actually recommend, recommended Marco to uh, Joel Silver. I think I heard something there, Doug. Yeah, is this any better? Yeah, we're hearing you now. I mean, how's the quality, though? Because I'm using my computer mic. It's fine. We hear you. All Our right. tens of tens of listeners will suffer. It's all good. <laughs> it's, is that what happened the other day, Doug? Yeah, I don't know what the hell's up. Like, I, I, it just must be a bad wire or something. Yeah, I think so. Like I said, it crackled away, so it might have been, yeah. Funny enough, since this film, his next film was Excess Baggage with Benicio Del Toro and Alicia Silverstone. And that was his last movie as a big film. He's just gone on to do other stuff, documentaries and stuff, but he never really kind of worked in quote-unquote Hollywood again. Imagine your first movie having the reel in the ego of Sylvester Stallone. Well, do you want to talk about that? Another movie <laughs> with more issues on set? <laughs> I didn't read that much was attributed to him, except not getting along with Lori Petty, who was first cast as Lenina. That's right. So Lori Petty, people might recognize her from uh, Tank Girl. She also does uh, many starring yeah, roles in other... Point Break. Point Break, that's right. League of Their Own, Point Break. Uh, Orange is the New Black, she had a role in that as well, if you watch that on uh, Netflix. Yeah, she didn't get along with Sly, but also Sandra Bullock mentioned that Sly was difficult to work with. She just said he was like that big brother. And I, I kind of see it because Sly, at the time of this film, was 47. Sandra Bullock, this was like her fifth movie to be in, but this was her first major film. And she was 29. So she she herself was kind of a late bloomer to the Hollywood scene. And she actually didn't get popular because of this film, because we know right after 94, Speed came out. That was the movie that pushed her over the edge for stardom. There's something involving the plot that really annoyed me about her, her age... He was supposed to have a daughter in this who, went, went, while he's cryogenically fr frozen, his wife is addressed. Somehow she dies, but his daughter's never spoken of again. It turns out that she joins Dennis Leary's Edgar Friendly's crew. The Scraps. And, um, They're called Scraps. Yeah, the Scraps. So she joins his crew, and John Spartan's supposed to meet her during one of the scenes, 
But the test audiences didn't like it because in turn, when he hooks up with Huxley, the test audiences didn't like the fact that he's hooking up with a girl who's roughly the same age as his daughter. So they cut the daughter stuff instead of the love story. Crap. So if you're going to cut something, I think the, the daughter plot line is, is far more important than him and, and Lenina hooking up. That doesn't make sense. He was frozen, was it 36 years? Mm-hmm. Six years, yeah. And there's no way that Sandra Bullock or her character, Lena Huxley or whatever, there's no way that she even looked close to 40. She was 29 at the time of filming. She looked 24, 25. Hooking up with a girl younger than his daughter. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay, Roger that. Okay. That, then that would have been, I guess, an issue. Yeah. All right. But do you guys want to talk about Sandra Bullock's so- performance overall? How, how she was in the film? Did you enjoy her? She got a Razzie for this. Yes, she did. I thought she was great. <laughs> I thought she was funnier than Benjamin Bratt, than Rob Schneider. How dare you, I Rob she, Schneider? I thought she was good. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Schneider was awesome. I love the, his funniest line. His line that made me laugh the most is it's a, it's a stupid throwaway line, but. We can just wait for another code to go red. And when Phoenix performs another murder death kill, we'll know exactly where to pounce. Great plan. Thank you. He likes your plan, Chief. <laughs> I don't know why that was funny. It's the way he's like, he looks like he's three feet tall, too. Every scene that Rob Schneider was in, he played like a dwarf. Did you notice that? He looked like he was four feet tall. He might just be a short guy. Yeah, that's right. They had they had Rob Schneider on his knees. So Rob Schneider actually had, he had a smaller role than I remember, but he actually ended up, as we know, co starring with Sly again in, uh, in Judge Dredd. I thought for a second there we were going to have like a Laurel and Hardy with these two guys. <laughs> they were going to do like a film career together, the Rob Schneider Stallone connection. I don't know if both those scripts he had in both hands and he dropped them and they got mixed up. And his agent called and he's like, Which one are we doing? We can only do one. And he's like, We're going to do it. And they're like, Which one? And he's like, The one with Rob it, Schneider. It's amazing to me. Yeah, (laughs) the one with the annoying sidekick. It's amazing to me that he did these two movies close together like that. Sandra Bullock, I mean, her character, I think her performance was good. The character, it was funny because you think about nowadays and the access people have to researching pop culture. You know, they didn't know about YouTube when they made this movie because YouTube didn't exist yet. So, like, all of her references would have been exact instead of, you know, this secondhand information she had about how you would say take this job and shovel it when you take it outside of the what we know about being able to research past stuff today it worked it definitely would have been a different movie without that character i love sly but boy it seems like he's either got backstage issues with some actors or directors or there's always like some sort of plagiarism around his films he had it with cliffhanger well he's had it with a few i can't name it off the top of my head but he had it again with this one now this one, Yes. I'm not going to say this was his fault, but it always seems to be somehow tangled in uh, the genesis of the film. So this story was proven by an independent review of a book called, I forget the name, it was a Hungarian book or whatever it was, but it was about a terrorist and a counter-terrorist. This was written like 1940s or something, 50s, maybe at the 70s at the latest, but it was a terrorist, counter-terrorist, and they were frozen in time. And released in the future, and it was a utopian future, and it was them with that conflict of living in a violent, free future going against each other. And this independent review discovered that the book was 75% similar to the movie. 
Wow. But the reason why the author didn't sue or go after damages is because he knew, the author actually said that it's too costly for me to go after this big conglomerate of a, of a company. And then he says, I know exactly who took my story. And that leads us to Lenkoff, one of the writers, this guy named Lenkoff. He came out of nowhere, quote unquote, came up with this story. So do the math. The other writer, um, yeah, one of the other writers, though, I guess he, he came in as a script doctor was <laughs> Daniel Waters, who wrote, Heather's put him on the map. And he also wrote the adaptation of The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. He was a big writer for a while. I would assume 90% of our listening audience, when this comes out on uh, on our audio feed, would assume 90% of them know the film. So we haven't really talked about the plot. I think it's almost kind of redundant. But for maybe for the 10% of you who listen to our, mo- our movie reviews, and there are some. My mom's one of them. She probably hasn't seen this film. So long story short, it's 1996. <clears throat> it's Los Angeles. Simon Phoenix has... Supposedly, he's taken 30 people hostage in a bus. Apparently, he's occupying a part of Los Angeles where he kind of runs the show because he says the post office workers know that don't come here. The police know not to come here. Where are the passengers? Ah, yes, the passengers. But there are... Passengers are gone. (laughs) See, I told the city, I said, look, nobody comes down here. Postman figured it out. Policemen figured it out, but the goddamn bus drivers just wouldn't listen. So he's kind of like taking control of an area of Los Angeles where it's so bad, it's so corrupt that even law enforcement doesn't go there. Then he says, but the bus driver doesn't seem to know not to come here, saying that's why this bus drove through his part of town. So he kept them hostage. But Sly's character, John Spartan, apparently he used a thermal imaging camera to check for bodies in the building and there was no sign of 30 bodies anywhere so he assumed that in the building those that were there because there were people there which is weird he somehow assumed that the people that were alive were people that were armed gunmen for simon phoenix and not the 30 hostages so he went in full throttle as the demolition man because his his style of taking down bad guys is destroying all things around him for example he saved a girl that was a hostage in a mall by destroying a seven million dollar mall to save a girl who had a twenty five thousand dollar ransom how can you justify destroying a seven million dollar mini mall to rescue a girl whose ransom is only twenty five thousand dollars you lady good So that was his nickname. He's the Demolition Man, because where he goes, destruction follows, but at the end of the day, the greater good is served. So Simon Phoenix knew that this was the style of John Spartan, his arch nemesis of two years. So he lures in John Spartan. The bodies, unbeknownst to John Spartan, have already been killed, and they're in the building. So when the building explodes, the bodies are found, and everyone just automatically assumes that these bodies were killed by the explosion. Damn it, John, I'm tired of this demolition man shit. You are not supposed to come down here. You are not supposed to attempt the arrest of Phoenix single-handed. And you are not supposed to blow anything up. It's not me this time, Healy. He dumped the gas and rigged the place to blow Yeah, right. You had nothing to do with it. Now, I know you've been trying to nail this cycle for two years. But try remembering a little thing called official police procedure. So where are the hostages? They're not here. What do you mean they're not here? They must have stashed them someplace else. So how do you know they weren't in there? Are you sure? Because I did a thermal check and there was only eight of them, all part of his game. Wrong again. <laughs> hey, you got something to say, scumbag? <laughs> Captain, Captain, over here. The body's everywhere. There must be 20 or 30. They're everywhere. See that, Captain? I told him. He said he didn't care. 
Oh my God, how could you sacrifice all those innocent people? Little old me. We have spent a lot of quality time together. See you, sweetie. Honey, sugar. You got a lawyer, you better call. Did he get Rudy Giuliani as his lawyer? <laughs> No forensic evidence, apparently. They, look, I've seen enough CSI shows, and Doug, you're a cop, right? So there, there has <laughs> that to, is a fact. Yeah, yeah, there it is. So there has to be evidence, meaning they can easily tell, even after an explosion, was this body dead during the explosion or before the explosion? All they have to do is check every person's lungs. Is there uh, ash and stuff in the lungs from the explosion? Because there's no way not everyone was disintegrated like a nuclear bomb. They would have breathed in the explosion. But they were all dead. So none of their lungs would have had inhale of anyway. So not one autopsy was done, apparently. Forensics would, would have cleared him 100%. Easily. We don't yeah, see a tra- Simon Phoenix's testimony, too, where he said, I don't care. I mean, Simon Phoenix is a credible witness, obviously. Yeah. I, yeah. And speaking of John Spartan's wife, it was a deleted scene, but Simon Phoenix apparently killed John Spartan's wife while he was en route. To, so unbeknownst to John Spartan at that time, wasn't that what happened? Did I read that wrong? It's just such a terrible scene. It, it deserved to be deleted. Okay. <laughs> so that's the setup. So the setup is <laughs> yeah. so John. So John Spartan is going to be cryogenically frozen for seventy years for putting thirty people's life in danger. John Spartan, you've done great deeds for the city of Los Angeles. So it is with some regret that I, William Smithers. Acting as assistant warden, hereby carry out this sentence. Skip it. Sergeant Spartan, you've been sentenced to 70 years sub-zero rehabilitation in the California Cryo Penitentiary for the involuntary manslaughter of 30 innocent civilians. Skip it. You will be placed in cryostasis for the duration of your sentence, during which your behavior will be altered through synaptic suggestion. You'll be eligible for parole no earlier than the year 2046. I'm sorry, Sergeant. And, of course, Simon Phoenix is going to jail for the same amount of time for putting those people's lives in danger. So they're both going to be frozen in time. Can we talk real quick about how cool that opening shot come over the Hollywood sign that's in flames? Sure. I mean, how much of the budget was just that opening scene? Probably a little bit. The Yeah, and that's cool. a huge explosion, too. I think that was a building that was probably designated to be destroyed yes correct yeah that was the uh, the demolition of that building was filmed for the movie i didn't catch it but there was word that you hear um some crew members cheering when the building was destroyed it was the director the director <laughs> cheered oh, was it? yeah it was apparently it was marco yeah <laughs> <laughs> Ole! Ole! <laughs> That's the spicy building. <laughs> Apparently, it was an MTV winner that got to hit the uh, self. The, the oh, door. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Press the button for the explosion. Can you it was imagine? probably a dummy button. It had nothing to, do, <laughs> had nothing to do with the explosive. Of course. Somebody else was on the master switch waiting for him to push the button. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it was a cool explosion. It was a it was a big explosion. They basically covered the walls and everything in gasoline, too. <laughs> So there was flames before it went down. That was huge. It was impressive. Yeah. I will say that. Very impressive. That's what I love about those practical effects of the 90s. Some things don't age well, but the practical explosions are so much better than CGI explosions. Oh, absolutely. 
So uh, Sly gets cryogenically frozen, and of course he was nude for this. Apparently, they created some very good lifelike frozen Sly stat. You saw those when he's frozen, like a clear carbonite for like Han Solo frozen, but clear whatever that is, clear gel. It, it was really kind of cool that liquid that they put in there. Do you know what kind of liquid that was in real life that they put in there? Weird slimy. I don't know how to explain it, but it's like yeah, like KY jelly kind of. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. And Sly actually swallowed it to spit it out on the glass. You see that? He goes, yeah. And he spits it on the glass. It's kind of a cool little effect there. He said it was about five hours he was in that thing, and he was actually he, he had no problem being new, but he made sure, apparently he made sure that the statues were large in the junk area, is what the director said. <laughs> I think that was at um, I think that was at Planet Hollywood. I know um our friend Matt had pictures of it. It was the Planet Hollywood here in, in Las Vegas. I've never really gone that deep into Planet Hollywood. I've never eaten there. I just anyway. I've eaten at the one in Times Square oh. in in Manhattan. Oh, really? Okay, cool. What'd you have? You remember? I remember the Cobra Car. If I know me, it was probably a hamburger. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the default. Burger, burger and fries. And fries or, yeah. <laughs> burger, fries, and a beer. Yeah. So he's frozen, and then Simon Phoenix though he has his pro hearing, which I which I love. I love the idea. That they have a parole hearing for someone who has no ability to act or show that they're ready to go back to society. is What's the point of a parole hearing when you're cryogenically frozen? You're like this for 25, 35 years. How do I prove that? They're supposed to be getting rehabilitated. Right. I have to go back to the uh, oh, yeah. warehouse scene real quick. Because something was gnawing at me like throughout the first five minutes of the movie. And I wonder if it gnawed at you guys. When uh, Simon Phoenix punches a hole in the gas cans and then he holds that butane torch right over the gasoline and is like oh i'm gonna drop it i'm gonna drop it if that was gasoline just holding the flame that close above it would ignite it yeah it's the fumes that are explosive put that heat next to that flame that's your ignition not the flame but the heat Mm -hmm. from the flame so anyways yeah that would have let that close that would have gone up easily but anyways it's a movie but but i know i love how he's like i know know. he's so close to it but i I, I remember seeing that as a teenager (laughs) of course it's just water but i I remember thinking even as a teenager when i saw that like come on dude that's really close like you're just being stupid yeah i mean as the filmmakers do a little fact checking before you pull something like that i don't know why they don't do that i don't know why they just don't do you just hold in the hand you can still hold it with the blowtorch we get it. You're gonna. You might yeah. light us on fire, but you, you don't have to put it next to the fumes to know that we know that it can light with flame. We well, you know how gas and flame works. We understand the principle. That, anyways, okay. All right. So back to the uh, pro hearing. So while they're in cryostasis or whatever the hell it's called, they have these head pads that are kind of wired right into their brain, and this is how they're getting rehabilitated. How does it work? They finale analysis and figure out like how to use their own personal strengths and knowledge and what kind of rehabilitation program to put them on. So they chose knitting for John Spartan for some reason. So that's how you're supposed to be rehabilitated. When your parole hearing comes up, you're supposed to, I I guess, prove that you've been rehabilitated by talking about whatever program they're wiring into your brain. If Spartan had his parole hearing, what does he do? Knit them a sweater and he gets released from prison? Like, I don't understand what, what he would have said. A few different loops and knots and whatever. I don't know. Well, I'm ready to go back to society because I can knit a sweater overnight. Thank you for the lovely gift. Look, I don't know what you guys put into my cryo slush, but when I thawed out, the first thing I wanted to do was knit. I mean, how come I know what a zipper foot and a shuttle and a hook and bobbin and a petty point is? 
I can weave a throw rug right now with my eyes closed. <laughs> it's part of your rehab program. For each inmate, the computer draws up a skill or trade which best suits their genetic disposition. And it would implant the knowledge and the desire to carry out whatever training was assigned. I'm a seamstress? Oh, that's just great. I come out of cryo prison and I'm Betsy Frost. If Phoenix comes out and he can access computers, operate all vehicles, knows the location of every damn thing in town, and is three times stronger than when he went in, can you give me Phoenix's rehab program now? Sure. I mean, that's what we're showing that he can do, but I don't understand how that proves he's ready to go back into society. It was a cool concept, the idea that over time, they subliminally basically rewire the brain. That's the idea. Is they're, they're programming the brains of yesteryears to make that fit of today's society, which is in the future now, 2036, whatever it was. All of society, at least in this, what was it called again? Sang Angrelis or whatever this district was called. It was a combination of Los Angeles. Oh, San Angeles. You see... We have become a society of peace, loving, and, and understanding, and we are, quite frankly, not equipped to deal with the situation. There have been no deaths of unnatural causes in San Angeles in the last 16 years. <sighs> the Santa Barbara, Los Angeles, San Diego Metroplex were merged in 2011. You are in the center of what used to be Los Angeles. That's great. San Angeles. Yeah. It's kind of shown in uh, A Clockwork Orange, the way they try to rewire the, the, a criminal's brain. I guess it's the same kind of concept. How the hell does Simon Phoenix get a parole hearing before John Spartan ever would? <laughs> well, no, well, we know he was released on purpose by the guy that created the society. That's how it was issued from above. That's why he said teddy bear. Teddy yeah, bear yeah. was the password to release the locks. And that's why the guard goes, how did, how did you know the password? And Simon Phoenix goes, I have no idea. Mr. Simon Phoenix, one of our first and most illustrious members. Allow me to welcome you to your parole hearing. Let's get this one over quick. 29 years ago, the parole system as you know it was rendered obsolete. Rendered obsolete. Federal statute 537-29. Stop it! Do you have anything fresh to say on your behalf? I thought not. Yeah. I do. Teddy Bear. How do you know the password to the cuffs? I wish I knew. Simon says die. And then he starts killing everybody. Mm -hmm. That's a great question, but the answer is... It was engineered that way. It was way. engineered that way, yes. Okay. What was outside of this area? What was the world like in China? Oregon? New York? Was this unique to this area? Was the rest of America on board with this? This was the biggest problem I had with the film. A movie like The Hunger Games, for example. This movie was an hour and 55 minutes long, by the way, guys. I haven't, I, mm -hmm. I haven't looked at The Hunger Games Part 1. I haven't looked at the time length, but I'm just using this as an example. The Hunger Games was about a, a society in the future. And we all, you know, If you don't know about it, just Google it. But The Hunger Games was able to, in its first movie, create a world that we understood what was happening worldwide in a very clear narrative. So what this movie was lacking in a big way was, yes, like you guys said, just ignore everything else and just watch the events of this area. And I get that kind of like Escape from New York. I wanted to know, what was the world like? Because he talked about, like, oh, now I can have my perfect society and everything. Like, there was no explanation how this community of millions were all on board to be 
Stepford wife type behavior. Excellent point. I was really interested in the story of how the society really got. They talked about the big one in 2010, but the last murder, 2010. So you're going to start the petition to uh, do the Demolition Man's prequel? Demolition Man, Cocteau, or whatever his name was. We're led to believe that Cocteau, I mean, they merged Los Angeles, Santa Barbara, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, Santa Barbara and San Diego, which, you know, combined into the San Angeles place. I think we're all led to believe that Cocteau was only in charge of that district. Yeah, there was no yeah, indication yeah, yeah. what the rest of even just the rest of California, the rest of the. So as I'm watching this, I'm just thinking it would be impossible to reign in all of America or any country for that. But to be like this, there's just no way you could eradicate evil. Now, but they did it. But I was interested in how they kind of hinted at it. They said, "Well, because it's just better to not be that way." That's great. You give me a Marlboro. Yes, of course, right away. What's a, a Marlboro? A cigarette, any cigarette. Uh, smoking is not good for you, and has been deemed that anything not good for you is bad, hence illegal. Alcohol, caffeine, contact sports, meat. Are you shitting me? John Spartan, you are fined one credit for a violation of the verbal morality statute. What the hell is that? John Spartan, you are fined one credit. Bad for language, a chocolate, of gasoline, uneducational toys, and anything spicy. Abortion is also illegal, but then again, so is pregnancy if you don't have a license. Because we know that evil, or quote-unquote, free will still existed because the scraps who weren't a part of the society, they fought against it. They wanted their own free will. They literally lived underground, metaphorically, to escape the Stefford wife society. It wasn't sort of like a mind meld type of thing. It was just slowly converting society into a a crime-free. If you want to know how the sausage is made, you're going to upset yourself. You just got to go into it trusting the process. I didn't think of it at the time in 93. We're kind of leaning towards this type of don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Don't want to be too mean. Don't want to say anything too bad. Don't want to express anything that's kind of off kilter. Because they lived in it, as we see at the end, this Stepford wife type of everything's just peachy with no conflict. Mm -hmm. There's no identity. There's no art. There's nothing. There's no music. As you can see, they didn't even create art. I thought it was an interesting commentary on just how out of pain comes art and music and movies. And But they had lost all of their art. They were just living. Mm-hmm. Right. You went deep on this movie, man. I like that. Because I feel like, oh, man, there's a lot to say here. And this actually could have been a Clockwork Orange or even a... Like movies like Robocop, again, Robocop explained the, the breakdown of their society very well in a, in a two-hour movie. It's just weird how they were unable to, in this two hours, where other films have done it even before this. Like Robocop was way before this, like six years. Dude, Robocop is is like another level of filmmaking, though. I mean, I know. we shouldn't even be having the same discussion about Robocop and Devolution, man. Like, seriously, Ro- Robocop's like a top five favorite movie for me. I mean, it's... It's awesome. It's next level filmmaking. I'm not saying it should have been a gritty film, but I think there's there could have been some sort of expose of how this happened. We get how it's enforced. We're seeing how it's enforced and lived in, but we never see or understand how it got there. One of the interesting parts of this film, because... A lot of futuristic films, like you just mentioned RoboCop, and even more nowadays, it seems like the common theme is when you make a futuristic movie, it has to be a dystopian future. But this one here seems to be utopian. Everybody gets along. They don't even swear. It's utopia until one guy that 
wants to rule it all. He sees like a flying ointment, so he wants to have him kind of ex- extinguished. So he unleashes the most ruthless murderer of all time on him. You know, this, this is a glimpse at a utopian future, which you don't really see much because it doesn't really make a a fun story, does it? No, but that, that's a good point, Doug. Why not just have like six of the cops put friendly in a jail cell and your problem solved? <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. It's weird. So you have the Scraps, who's led by Edgar Friendly, played by Dennis Leary, in a very weird role. That whole casting was just so he could do that bacon and cigar the size of Cincinnati um, oh. monologue. So you think you're taking me in, huh? Guess what? Not happening. You tell Cocteau he can kiss my ass. Yeah, that's right. You tell Cocteau it's going to take an army of assholes to get rid of me because I don't give a shit. I got nothing to lose. I don't want to rain on your parade, pal. But I don't know who the hell you are, let alone want to take you anywhere. So stay here, be well, and Cocteau's an asshole. Hey, hey, Let's take him and dump him up top. They're only down here to spy on us. What do you want? I guess you weren't part of the Cocteau plan. Greed, deception, abuse of power, that's no plan. That's why everybody's down here? You got that right. See, according to Cocteau's plan, I'm the enemy. Because I like to think. I like to read. I'm into freedom of speech and freedom of choice. I'm the kind of guy who likes to sit in a greasy spoon and wonder, gee, should I have the T-bone steak or the jumbo rack of barbecue ribs with the side order of gravy fries? I want high cholesterol. I want to eat bacon and butter and buckets of cheese, okay? I want to smoke a Cuban cigar the size of Cincinnati in a non-smoking section. I want to run through the streets naked with green jello all over my body reading Playboy magazine. Why? Because I suddenly might feel the need to, okay, pal? I've seen this, but you know what it is? It's a 47-year-old virgin sitting around in his beige pajamas drinking a banana broccoli shake singing, I'm an Oscar Mayer wiener. You live up top, you live Cocteau's way. What he wants, when he wants, how he wants. Your other choice? Come down here. Maybe starve to death. All right, then why don't you take charge and lead these people out of here? I'm no leader. I do what I have to do. Sometimes people come with me. All I want to do is bury Cocteau up to his neck and shit and let him think happy, happy thoughts forever. And I got bad news. I think he wants to kill you. It was a classic Dennis Leary rant. They had to rewrite Edgar Friendly's part so Leary could fit in, like, his ranting. That was, yeah, that was like his Sorry. a-hole routine. A-hole was, was a big thing for him. That was totally his shtick. And well, to Dennis, it took you out of the movie because yeah, you yeah. stopped coming, too. You're like, oh, no, here it comes. <laughs> That's just it. We're watching. Yeah, Leary being Leary. Yeah, we're watching a Dennis Leary routine. He said, better Dennis Leary than Dennis Miller. Yeah. You know, Dennis Miller, you would have gotten, like, just a string, string of big words that nobody understands. <laughs> There's a few comics that have the same kind of shtick. You know, Lewis Black is the same way. Oh, let's recast uh, Friendly with just different comedians. What about <laughs> Stephen Wright? Remember, you guys remember Stephen Wright? Yeah, but that would have been, been totally deadpan the whole time. Mitch Hedberg would have been great. Yeah. Just one-liner after one-liner. Emo Phillips. Remember when they went down to the underground, John Spartan and Lalina Huxley, they go and uh, Benjamin Bratt's character, they go down to the underground to uh, confront Edgar Friendly, and they had a beer and a burger joint there. Rat burger, yeah, yeah. We, well, it was a rat burger, but they were up above on the street stealing food, and I'm kind of like, hey, you guys got a pretty good deal down here. You got rat burgers, you got beer, you know, and. I don't know, but I guess you could have stole that food and they prepare it down there, I guess is I guess that's what they done. Did you guys notice who was standing next to Edgar Franley during his rant? I didn't know. Jack Black. Oh wow, yeah. Early early Jack Black. 
No speaking role, wow. but was, yeah. yeah, he was standing next to Edgar Friendly, and he was just he did like a couple Jack Black like smiles at Edgar Friendly's rant, and that was it. That was his uh, big part. And speaking of uh, cameos that were butchered, Jesse Ventura, what do you think of his big part in the film? If I remember correctly, his role was substantially reduced because, from what I understand, there was a big final fight got completely cut out. You don't know what happens to any of those goons. No. They just, like, disappear. There's a fight. Uh, yeah, Stallone and Ventura actually filmed the fight that got cut out. Come on. You've already got an hour, two, hour 55 minutes. Just give us that fight. Even if it's just for two minutes. It's, it's, it's a weird thing to cut out. Poor Ventura was probably pissed. I would have been. But his name was in the credits, but he literally oh, yeah. he, he literally had no role. Another deleted scene was Phoenix actually killed that the black cop that was... He was the one that flew the helicopter at the beginning of the film. And then he was the uh, goes, Oh, John Spartan, yeah. I haven't seen you since yeah, he was the he was the pilot of the helicopter that flew John Spartan in nineteen ninety six. He was now kind of an older cop at at the station. So he was killed. That was a deleted scene, but he was killed by Simon Phoenix. Another it's funny, they toned down the violence in this film, which is weird because the movie's rated R anyways. I don't know why they didn't just keep the gore in. They had yeah. more than one F word in it, which makes it rated R. It was like quite a bit. And then the violence was just enough to be kind of violent. They should have went balls to the wall like Total Recall. Or any Verhoeven film. I was just going to say, Verhoeven, I mean, that's next level filmmaking. He's a brilliant, brilliant filmmaker. And I don't think many people had his sensibility when it came to if you're going to do something, just do it. And, you know, in the case of Robocop and Total Recall and even Starship Troopers do it too much. Like, this movie's rated R. We'll get to the uh, simulated sex scene, but there's there's actually multiple nudity shots, though brief. They're there. It's, there's cursing. There's violence. There's eyeballs on a pen. It's oddly violent without being violent, but it's like, if you're going to be R-rated, well, you've already got the rating. Just go with it. Yeah. And, I mean, it was produced by Joel Silver, so Joel Silver was completely doing those kind of movies, you know, violent movies. I mean, he produced the Lethal Weapon movies. But I guess as time went on, the Lethal Weapon movies even got less explicit in terms of the violence. Uh, Sean Malloy, he sent me a link of this very review. I don't know why he did that. but <laughs> Of his Demolition Man review? No, of ours. He, he sent us the link of our episode. I don't know if maybe it was a mistake, but thanks, Sean. I was going to give Sean a shout out. He does the I Must Break This Podcast podcast, but... He sent me the link of our actual review, so I'm not sure. Anyways, they should have gone balls to the wall with this film with the violence because the movie was already rated R. Why not show the violence? A lot of the violence was off screen. We saw a scene with Simon Phoenix mowing down like a scientist in the freezing facility. He mows them down. I would have like I don't know. I kind of would like to seen them get. I don't know. You're doing it, pulling out the warden's eyeball. They filmed something more graphic than that i mean they they already show him holding the eyeball on a stick why not go the extra mile i the only thing i can maybe think of is that it's not stallone's brand and oh, until you ramble know, part I, I don't five know. yeah i guess you're right and ramble part yeah. four <laughs> but you're right about maybe with that time but it would have been again if i was the director i would have thought that would would have made it that much more cooler is showing this utopian society that's so clean and pristine and so good. And then having Simon Face going there, just gutting people. It would have been like, whoa. whoa. Yeah. Like, you know what I think was a really good exploration of that idea, though, was when Simon Phoenix is first on thought and they cut to, like, the live shot of the cryo chamber. I think everybody in that scene showed how appalled they were by what they were seeing. They'd never seen somebody 
murdered before. I thought that was a really, really effective scene. It probably would have been a lot more effective with increased violence. I really got to commend everybody in that scene. The direction of it really sort of sold the concept that this was uncharted territory for them. Let's talk about the simulated sex scene. Do we have to? Yes, we do. Sly loves his sex scenes with his <laughs> with his leading ladies. <laughs> Honestly, I'd rather see this, this kind of sex scene than one like in The Specialist. Well, what I loved about this is we only saw his imagery and not hers. Yeah. You know, hers. Yeah. Do we see him moaning? Yeah, we saw him moaning. Oh, <laughs> We did see him pursing his lips. Didn't we see him pursing his lips? Ooh. <laughs> Don't ever do that again. Sly. Ooh. They got me all excited for Party of Kitty and Studs review. So. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Somebody put a leash on this guy. Oh, that leash scene. That's a good scene from Party of Kitty and Studs. Okay. Uh. So anyway, so for for our listeners who maybe have forgotten, have <laughs> blocked it from the memory, in a kind of a fun comedic moment, Sandra Bullock's character says to Sly's character, "Hey, do you want to have sex?" And she says in a very matter of fact way, the way you would, you know, would you like to have a cup of coffee? John Spartan, there is of course a well-known and documented connection between sex and violence. Not so much a causal effect, mm. but a general state of of neurological arousal. And after having observed your behavior this evening and my resultant condition, um, I was wondering if you would like to have sex. With you? Mm-hmm. Here? <laughs> now? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Great! <laughs> I'll be right back. That's a fun little play on the idea of sex. You know, oh, it's just, this is what we do. We feel pleasure without any kind of awkwardness. So it's like, okay, in a weird way, it's kind of forward thinking. It's like, yeah, we can have pleasure. We can feel pleasure and it's not awkward. But it's something I want to share with you. So that's fine. That's a kind of a forward way of thinking. Of course, he's thinking like a 1993 person or a 96 person. He's like, oh, okay. And he starts, you know, checking his breath and fixing his hair while she's getting ready. That's That's a good comedy, you know. And then she comes out with the machines, puts them on the heads, which is equivalent to today's VR, which they didn't have VR back then. But had they done that today, it would have been goggles over the eyes. But it was like a, it was like a brain implant he puts on his head. What's wrong? He broke contact. Contact? I didn't even touch you yet. But I, I thought you wanted to make love. Is that what you call this? First sex has been proven to produce higher orders of alpha waves during digitized transference of sexual energy. All right, obviously. What do you say we just do it the old-fashioned way? Ew, disgusting. You mean fluid transfer? I mean bony, the, the wild mambo, the, the hunk of chunk. That is no longer done. The exchange of bodily fluids, do you know what that leads to? Yeah, I do. Kids smoking, a desire to raid the fridge. The rampant exchange of bodily fluids was one of the major reasons for the downfall of society. After AIDS, there was NRS. After NRS, there was UBT. And one of the first things that Dr. Cocteau was able to do was to outlaw and behaviorally engineer all fluid transfer out of societally acceptable behavior. Not even, not even mouth transfer is condoned. Kissing's not allowed? Oh. Damn, I was a good kisser. Oh. All right, th- th- what about kids? Procreation? Yeah. We go to a lab. Fluids are purified, screened, and, and transferred mm-hmm. by authorized medical personnel only. It is the only legal way. 
I think I've ever seen on screen or even in my psyche at the age of, you know, 1993, the idea of, you know, sex simulation, of a visual and audio simulation. And the scene still to this day, it's it's not like it's graphic, but it's pretty, the comedy ends because sexy images play out. It's not funny anymore. <laughs> now it's kind of like weirdly gross again, like Doug was saying. You got a sly person his lips in pleasure. And, uh, then, <laughs> and then you see the, a naked torso of a female, full on naked, you know, breasts and everything. We know it's not Sandra Bullock because, well, it's just a fuller body than Sandra's. Takes off the helmet really quick. Like, uh, it's like, this is too much. This is weird. And she's like, what's the problem? And then, of course, the f- the funny sequence of like, you know, we kiss and where I'm from and we exchange fluids and all this stuff. And they talk about procreation is done through labs. You need a license for it. Oh, it was right out of the 90s. Just the flashing images of her. I'm glad it was a lot more toned down than we saw in The Specialist. It made more sense than the, the seashells. <laughs> so he goes to his room and he turns on the TV and we get at some early technology. There's a lot of technology we will come to fruition in today's time. First, the sex simulator, as we know, Oculus is working on that stuff right now. Virtual sex. Uh, I don't know how they're doing it, but they're working on... We got the audio visual down, but I guess they're going to work on things that you can... The touch. Touch and attach. Yeah. So virtual sex is on the horizon. Secondly, he's in his room and he turns on the camera and somebody Zoom calls in on him but she's naked and it's the wrong number so she video calls her boyfriend Mm. oh sorry wrong number and she covers up so she's naked on camera which again is common today on people's phones so that was a little bit of a a future prediction that came true and they even had the um, aspect ratio correct as well yeah it was portrait (laughs) and another future prediction that came true was the zoom call they had a Zoom meeting. So this in 1993, you see this meeting. Everyone has their own head on a screen and this person talking to them all on screen. And back in 93, when I saw this, I was like, oh, whoa, that's crazy. They could have a meeting from wherever they are virtually. I don't even know if I used the word virtually. That wasn't a word back then. But they can do their own call from wherever. That's crazy. Nowadays, that's absolutely normal, especially in COVID now. It's absolutely normal. I, I just like the fact that the screens turned as the speaker would, would walk around the room. Facebook has that portal. It's like their Zoom, but it's an, it's an actual piece of hardware, and that will actually follow you. It'll do, like, voice tracking. Hmm. Okay. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Speaking of COVID, they predicted the germs. Don't touch hands. You know, for the high mm. fives, they did, the, they did the air rub. So a lot of interesting things, quote, unquote, have come to uh, fruition just through whatever. You Let's know. not forget the shortage of toilet paper, too. Shortage of toilet paper, yes. And that was a clever scene no, when the there was no toilet not. paper, so he swears at the machine to get all those tickets. Yeah, I love that. Look, I don't know if you guys know it, but you're uh, you're out of toilet paper. Did, did you say toilet paper? Oh, they used handfuls of wadded paper back in the 20s. <laughs> I'm happy that you're happy, but the place where you're supposed to have the toilet paper, you got this little shelf with three seashells on it. <laughs> he doesn't know how to use the three seashells. <laughs> I can see how that could be confusing. I won't believe it. I'll be right back. Thanks a lot, you shit. Don't <laughs> 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 
for repeated mm -hmm. violations of the verbal morality statute. So much for the seashells. See you in a few minutes. <laughs> I love that part. Do you know how this, the seashells are used? Yeah, somebody within the last year, actually, there's a little like cartoon that pretty graphically shows one is for scooping, another is for make any sense. <laughs> Take two shells. They're all separated. There's three of them. But yeah, you kind of squeeze and pinch and pull away. <laughs> and then you... <laughs> <laughs> when Sandra Bullock was asked about it, she kind of said the way that the shells are laid out, like on the ledge or whatever, they look like buttons. The seashells are buttons like uh, bidet controls, like the force of the stream, the size of the stream. So each seashell could be a bidet control okay. instead of you pick them up and pull shit out of your ass. <laughs> <laughs> Which is ridiculous. It's stupid. The way the concept came up was the director was asked his other director friend, like, I need an idea for your futuristic bathroom. And the other the director's looking around his bathroom. He goes, well, I got a thing of seashells over here. And the guy goes, I'll make something out of that. Like, no, you don't make something out of that. Give me something. <laughs> what you made out of that was stupid. Three seashells. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Have you ever seen seashells in someone's bathroom for decoration? Because I have. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I have too. That's funny. I never use them for anything but decorations. Talk about when he goes to the museum, Simon Phoenix goes to the museum to get weapons because weapons are a thing of the past now. We don't have weapons anymore. I love how everything's loaded. <laughs> Why is this museum yeah. full of ammunition? I don't know. This is another thing of like you don't place ammunition next to weapons. That's just weapon safety 101. Because, because the plot tells you. He had a working cannon. <laughs> he lit a cannon. <laughs> yeah. He lit a cannon. He had gunpowder for the cannonball. Where did that come from? I love how we see the can, like we see that the cannon was used in the explosion of the wall. But I wanted to see the prep work. I wish that scene was filmed. Him putting the ball in, stuffing the gunpowder, and then like yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Ryan, I know you love how meta movies can get. There's a few um, suggestions to it, but this the museum is is like the perfect jumping off point where he calls the mannequin Rambo. Yeah. Excuse me, Rambo, I need to borrow this. Again, we have in the Tango Cash universe. Uh, we talked about this. I don't know if you guys listened to this on, our, on my Creed episode, which I, I don't think you have, which is fine. But we mentioned that Adonis imitates the Godfather to Rocky. You follow me? So he does a, mm -hmm. he does a Godfather voice to Rocky in Creed. And that would mean that the that Godfather exists, the movie, in the Rocky universe. If the Godfather exists yeah. in the Rocky universe, Talia Shire is in the Godfather films. So the actress that plays looks like Rocky's oh, yeah. wife. Yeah. Very meta. Yeah, it's weirdly meta. And then not only that, Robert De Niro was in part two, and Robert De Niro was in a movie called Grudge Match and Copland with a guy who looks like Rocky. <laughs> yeah, Grudge Match is, is all place meta. Oh, that's a... But yeah, we talked about it. Our, check out our grudge match episode. I think it's probably better than this one. <laughs> but the, with the Jackie Chan nod too, it's Lenina, right? Who who brings up the Jackie Chan movies? Yeah, she learned how to fight like that because she watched Jackie Chan. Films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So Jackie Chan exists in this universe. Anyway, where the hell did you learn to kick like that? Oh, um, Jackie Chan movies. Uh. Yes. And Jackie Chan happened happened to be a friend of Stallone's at the time. Yes. 
the, the Schwarzenegger thing. Can we talk about that real quick? So again, Schwarzenegger was an actor who played in the Expendables, who played with. It doesn't work. You can't. You have too many it just like goes round and round. Yeah. I've been an enthusiast of your escapades for quite some time now. I have, in fact, perused some newsreels from the Schwarzenegger Library, and that time that you took that car. Hold it. The Schwarzenegger Library. Yes, the Schwarzenegger Presidential Library. Wasn't he an actor when Stop. you? Stop. He was president. Yes. Even though he was not born in this country, his popularity at the time caused the 61st Amendment, which states that... I don't want to know. President. At this time, they hated each other. Well, they were extremely competitive, yes. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, you know, they were I mean, rivals. They were rivals. I don't think there was... Actually, yes. Yeah. I would hate Ronald Schwarzenegger if he, if he trolled me into taking stop on my mom. Shoot, I would hate that. <laughs> That's fair. About the 61st Amendment, where it, it allowed Schwarzenegger to become president. When he became governor of California, they they pushed an amendment to allow him to run for president. Called the Arnold Amendment. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. I freaking love this stuff. It's so weird. But Lenina makes a comment about Spartan's quippy one-liner outside the Taco Bell after he beats up the Scraps guy. Oh, man, I didn't even write it down. Do you not know what I'm talking about? Oh, uh... She said... The joy, joy, you know, something that you said to him before you. Oh, damn it. I'll insert it. Don't worry about it. You'll be saved by my editor. Yeah, please do. Please do. What the hell? Such reckless abandonment. Looks like there's a new shepherd in town. That sheriff. You are even better live than on Laserdisc. And the joy, joy way you pause to make a glib witticism before doing battle with that strangely weapon scrapped in those roundhouse. Pussy, look, this isn't the Wild West, okay? The Wild West wasn't even the Wild West. Hurting people's not a good thing. Well, sometimes it is, but not when it's a bunch of people looking for something to eat. Another little funny line here, Sandra Bullock's character to Sly said, for a 74-year-old, you're not that bad. And funny and enough, he he's 74 right now. He's 74. Talk about meta, right? That really threw me off. I was like, holy crap, that is Sly right now, 74. He's doing a movie right now, an action movie called Samaritan. So it'll be interesting to see how he moves for a 74-year-old guy. I remember seeing this movie as a teenager. Now, and the idea, if you were to tell me, oh, kind of, you know, you'll see Sly in the future, Ryan, in 2020 or 2021 in a movie called Samaritan when he's 74 years old, I would have been like, what? I couldn't imagine a 74-year-old Sly, but it's weird. Here we are. Did you catch uh, Phoenix making uh, mocking the Chinese <laughs> in the museum? <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised the score didn't do like a little I guarantee you Wesley Snipes ad-libbed that. That wasn't in the script because he did a lot of ad-libbing. And he, his Spanish-speaking too, when he did that Spanish-speaking, that was ad-libbed as well. That wasn't in the script. Yeah. You couldn't film that today. It's always fun to watch movies from the past just see, would that fly today? And no, they would not have allowed a, a racist ad lib to stay in the film today. Did you catch his uh, Ghostbuster ray gun at the end there? Simon Phoenix had that ray laser gun. Did you arbitrarily shot out lasers? And then he hits it against the wall and the lasers came out stronger? I called it the Ghostbuster ray gun. <laughs> Was that the one that he uh, picked up? In the museum? No, it seemed to be something from the facility. It was like he used it as a weapon. It was like shooting electricity. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was cutting things in half. And yeah, the there not? was a very, <laughs> very terrible scene of John Spartan jumping away from it. It was so horribly shot. He only does like the bottom third of the screen. He goes, ee! He does like a really 
lame <laughs> leap. You just know there's a big soft mattress underneath of it. <laughs> Do you know the leap I'm talking about when he's leaping away from that laser gun? It's the corniest jump away from explosion I've ever seen. I know we, it sounds like we write on this movie a lot. I think in some ways it hasn't aged well just because this is what I love about Westerns. Westerns age well because there's no CGI. There's no special effects. It's horses, the natural land, and barns. You can watch High Noon today and enjoy it. There's nothing that really ages as far as the aesthetics of a, of a Western film, right? So the problem when you do a futuristic film like Demolition Man, we're only uh, 16 years away from the future that was depicted in this film. First of all, it's interesting that the movie came out in, what, 93? Yeah. They set that terrible version of Los Angeles in 1996. Why not just transpose the whole thing, start it 50 years from now, and then have it take place in, you know, the late 2000s or, you know, the later part of this century? It is interesting when they make films in the future. I mean, Blade Runner just did it again, 2049. I mean, that's only 20 years from now. Or don't give the date. You don't have to give the date. That's a good point. It's sometime in the future. Some movies have done that sometime in the future. And they're not so distant in the future, as they say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's what makes Star Wars good. It's being Star Wars. It's a long time ago in a galaxy far away. You just completely take it out. You can't can't compare it to our universe. The final notes I had was about Simon Phoenix's death. First of all, a cool death scene, him getting frozen and then getting his head kicked off. Cryogenics was introduced in the beginning of the film. You knew it was going to come into play at some point. I forget the context he said it, but Simon Phoenix said that he'd lose his head if it wasn't attached to his oh, shoulders. That was definitely that was definitely a callback. Yeah, and Spartan says, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I swear I'd lose my head if it wasn't attached. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. Don't don't don't. The other funny thing is what was Spartan's plan? Was he just, I mean, he looks up and sees that thing spinning around and grabs it. But prior to that, was he just like, I'm going to sacrifice myself to, to get Phoenix. I don't know. Yeah. He wasn't telegraphing it. Cause he looks up and sees it. And he's like, Oh, I can grab this. That was just to get his feet off the ground. Right. Oh, that's right. That's right. Cause I guess that thing freezes outward. And, and once it reaches the end of what it's frozen, you can go back on it again. And it won't freeze you. I'm going to have to check the science on this. I'll get back to you. <laughs> it was a cool death scene. It was cool. The head being popped off and exploded on the ground. It reminded Why did the me of hair a... freeze? Why did it? Why didn't it? <laughs> didn't it freeze? No it, was, no, it was like the blonde hair was on top of the frozen. <laughs> That's his calling card. <laughs> you can freeze that blonde. One of the notes was nobody would know it's him if he didn't have the hair. That's the kind of stupid <laughs> shit I could yeah, yeah. A Hollywood executive giving after he comes out of the bathroom after taking like two bumps i think it would have been hilarious had the, the hair stay like the head explodes in the ground but the hair piece still stays like a lego <laughs> hair piece <laughs> <laughs> bounce it around do, 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 do. okay uh <laughs> okay <laughs> well there was talk of a sequel and a prequel and the prequel was going to be john spartan and simon phoenix that two-year war that they had with each other there was a sequel talk, but the but the executives smartly decided that it was going to bomb, so they didn't do that. But there was talk of a sequel, and apparently, as of late as May twenty twenty, Sly has hinted at a Demolition Man too. No, <laughs> it's all talk. Let it go. Remember the streaming zombie squad we were going to get? <laughs> we 
should do a whole episode. Yeah. We should do a whole episode on Sly teases. All the things he's teased and never falls falls through with. Just today, I saw somebody link to Stallone saying the only thing that would make sense for Rambo moving forward would be a prequel, a streaming only prequel. Who needs it, <laughs> Matt? I mean, like seriously, who, who needs no, you, it? You get a hundred movies and shows like that available to you, especially with Rambo. Like everything you need about that character is explained in First Blood. Yeah, John Jay. The prequels are always so effing heavy-handed that you'd have, like, Rambo would say, you drew First Blood, don't push me, man. Like, it would just be a rehash of all the shit we saw in First Blood, but it would be like, oh, this is the prequel. So isn't that cool? Yeah, I know. At least the zombies sounded kind of neat. There's a lot of different directions you can go with that. Yeah. Prequels, you kind of write yourself into a corner. You only have so much lead time until you get into what where we know the character when it starts they have to land on the position of the starting position like they have to get there so sly we love him but he is the king he is the king of tease and hype and uh Ampelia. <laughs> i think he just loves to create i think i think his mind is always oh it'd be great if i could do this he's the guy that if they had a serum that keeps you 35 forever he would take it in a heartbeat if you told sly look i'll give you a serum that makes you 35 forever but somebody you don't know dies, he would take it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Oh, man. All right. Well, any closing thoughts there? We never got a sequel. We never got a prequel. I love this movie. Mm-hmm. Unabashedly, I always have. One of the things that bugged me the most was the no resolution on his wife. And If you're going to put his have a resolution on his door thing, cut out the love shit between him and Lenina. You don't need it. Mm-hmm. I don't know why these movies have to, especially during this time. I did uh, the last episode I did with Sean Malloy on I'm His Breakfast podcast. They shoehorned a Dolph Lundgren love story into a movie that didn't friggin' need it whatsoever. You don't think that was Dolph being like, hey, I want to kiss somebody other than my it wife? Probably was. It probably was. But was she naked? But No, no. Oh, okay. But she was hot. Right. <laughs> but movies like this don't need it. You don't need a forced love story. They were great as, you know, a Martin Riggs yeah. and... There's no uh, chemistry there. It was, uh, it was weird. When they, when they kiss at the end, it was gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you have a buddy cop movie without the two cops hooking up. Yeah, true. So that's no. my only, my gripe. Aside from the how did L.A. get to be what it was in that, that moment. If you throw I, out everything I, in the movie, it's a great watch. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't, this is the perfect example of a leave your brain at the door movie. Yeah, they don't need a formula to, to stick to. I enjoyed it too. I should, I will say it was not a boring watch. It was reminiscent of my youth. I enjoyed it. Look, I knew going in I was going to have fun. So I think that's probably why I went in a little bit more critical because it would have been just too easy to say, oh, it's a fun, silly action. But we all know it is. I get it. I guess there's the, the little part of me, the the more mature movie watcher that I am today, I was like, there's so much. Once I went down that rabbit hole, is why is this society like this and who else is like this? And I just, it was hard to escape that. So every scene that happened, it seemed irrelevant to the big picture of what's going on on this planet. Like, how do these guys get away with this society? Why is it like this? Do they have carte blanche with America? Like, It's the perfect example of a leave-your-brain-at-the-door type of movie. This was Keek Stallone, the one-two-three punch that you get with Cliffhanger, Demolition Man, and The Specialist. You know, this was 
the height of his earning power, the peak of his physicality, probably, even though he was close to 50. This is the top of the mountain for him. I mean, after this, it starts to, you know, I mean, you still get some gems like daylight and stuff like that. But I mean, after this, you know, this is the glory days that you talk about. All right. Well, as always, guys, this is a pleasure. Let's close out with this again, saying where we're from. I'm uh, Ryan, host of Going the Distance, the Rocky Series and Creed podcast on the Stallone Podcast Network feed. Yeah, we're handling Creed Part 1 right now. We're almost halfway through, if not over halfway through now. Doug, exciting news. You're starting Rocky 2. Yeah, if you guys are up on the re-listen on the Sylvester Stallone Fan Podcast Network, I just started releasing uh, Season 2. We got our coverage of Rocky 2 coming at you as we speak, we're making our way through that. And, you know, we got a bunch of episodes ready to go for Rocky three. got to keep plugging away at those. I got to reach out to Jay and start scheduling some recording sessions. Brian, you're close, man. You're close. I forget. What scene am I doing again? We'll I keep get... Is it Mickey's death? Yeah. You're doing the Mickey death. Scene. Wow. I don't even remember what scenes I did. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> so long, I, I, mean, I mean, seriously, that was like, a year, probably. It's probably. A year I, I think I was still in my apartment when we recorded that. Wow. Yep. yep. It's okay. You got the Xbox watch, by the way. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I recorded so long ago with you. I got the early scenes. Yeah. I think I requested that, didn't I? Yeah. You did. You wanted the pinball and the, uh, the Xbox watch. Nice. I mean, who would want to? I just want to say, Doug, to those aren't being released in vain. There are people watching, listening to it. So I've got word from people that uh, I know personally that are listening that didn't listen before. So because it's on the feed, they're listening. I know Katie's listening. Yeah, I know Katie's. I'm, I'm listening to your Creed episode, by the way. You are, and, and it's duly noted. It was at this moment that we had my computer shut down. I rejoined the conversation in the middle of their conversation, and uh, so that's why it's so oddly jumped around here. All right, back to the show. Look, we had nobody watching anyway. No, it's weird. We didn't, which is weird because sometimes we do get a lot of people, or at least a handful. But that's okay. Doesn't matter. It'll all be fixed and post edit. I have the audio. It's all good. Uh, I'm just saying. I think there might have been something. Go- I think my computer might have been having a hard time running Discord and stream it to YouTube. So what I'll do is just just record it. And if it conks out, it's just us recording. We just I just tag uh, tag the video together. It's not an issue. Okay, take two. Craig was saying that he was uh, in Rocky Minute with Doug. And then I started saying, so for our listeners, the computer shut down. If you see it on YouTube, you'll see that it shut down. We're just going to continue audio only here for the uh, iTunes release. Doug mentioned that he does listen to uh, the Creed episodes, which surprises me that he does. And he was about to tear me a new one because I know he's about to say. So, Doug, go ahead and say what you're about to say. I missed it, but uh, you're just starting to lay it into me. So go ahead and tell me. Yeah. It's very much on record, duly noted. You find that uh, you want more of me and Jay guests, duly noted. <laughs> yeah, so I said that. No, and I, I was wondering when you were going to hear that. I, I, was, I was like, either Doug listens. 10 years. <laughs> yeah, it's a 10 years from now, Doug will hear this. You took a, the spirit which was given, I hope. Yeah, of course. Okay. Of course. And, and I, I, I mean, we've talked about it, you know, a few times before, and, and I understand. But I also said after you kind of conked out was, I want to get more people that actually know the movie, that know the film, know the franchise, boxing, and instead of just other like minute by minute hosts. There's some of that early on, but I'm kind of moving moving forward, you know, in a new direction with that as guest wise. So okay. we'll get more intelligent discussion going forward. 
You wow, what a slap in the face uh, to our all our past guests. You know, wow. I don't know what to tell you. I don't think past guests that aren't Rocky fans are listening to this feed, so I wouldn't worry about it. True, true. Craig, why don't you uh, plug your show and your other podcast? And I'm sorry to conked out during that. As we talked about at the beginning of the show, um, hitting this very feed in the next couple of weeks, although this isn't live, so at this point it's it's useless. Hitting this feed, so when you're done listening to this, go check for the 5th and 30th anniversaries of Rocky 4 and Rocky 5. I also mentioned, Ryan, that um, sort of fitting with the Rocky Minute on Monday, Wednesday, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, going the distance on Saturdays, and then Slycast on Sunday, I'll probably start uploading to this uh, classic from the archive Slycasts for people that um, want to listen to everything on this feed or haven't listened to the Slycast before. Um, we'll talk about that. And then also, my I have another podcast that's once a month. It's the first Friday of every month. I'm looking forward to having you and Doug on individually. It's Conversations at Jackrabbit Slims. And it's my Pulp Fiction podcast where every month I talk to a different fan of the movie. And so far, everybody I've talked to has been a podcaster. So it kind of has served two purposes where I get to uh, talk with another fan of the movie, but I also help somebody promote their podcast. If you go into your favorite podcatcher and just search Conversations at Jackrabbit Slims, you can find that. I think episode six was November's episode. So uh, I need to get on that. I, over the Christmas holidays, at the very least, I got a busy few weeks ahead of me. But come mid December, I'll be free for like a month and a half. So I'm going to get on your show because I want to talk Pulp Fiction. Awesome. Likewise. All right, guys. Thank you. I apologize again for the technical difficulties, but for our audio listeners, it'll be there'll be none the white. Well, they'll know something happened because of the flow of the conversation, but. Uh, if you happen to catch this on YouTube, I actually went to the end of it. I apologize, but I don't think that's going to be an issue for a lot of people. So, all right, guys. Thank you so much. Cool. Take care, guys. Pleasure, Love you guys. You too. Yeah. Love you guys. We're hanging up, right? I'm hanging up. All right. I'm hanging up. All right. Bye-bye. Have a good one, guys. You too.